This podcast is produced by Unedited. Hello, people, and welcome to episode 16 of The Dreamer's Disease. My name is Alex Manzi, and on each episode, we'll hear the story of someone inspirational who is out in the world and really following their passions and creating something out of the thing that they love. On this episode, I'm joined by Ben Anderson, who is the co-founder of Musicalize, which is a live music and events company. They've since put on shows for the likes of Brandy, Jeremiah, Ludacris, and loads more. It's incredible to think where they started from and where they got to. Before we jump in, I'd just like to thank you for listening to the podcast, for subscribing on iTunes, for checking out the Instagram at the underscore dreamers disease. And also for all of you who have left a review on iTunes, it means a lot because it really gives me a chance to see what you guys think. If you've got the time, I'd really appreciate if you could head to iTunes and leave a review. So right now, let's jump straight into the episode and hear Ben's story. As you mentioned, I'm, I'm the co-founder of uh, Musicalize. We're essentially a, a live music concert promotions company. That's certainly where we started out about six years ago, six and a half years ago now. And we're just in the process of, you know, as, as things have progressed within the music industry, you know, we've looked at other areas that we're diversifying. So couple of the other things that we're working on are things like artist management aside from the concert world we're, we're sort of doing some other event management um, and event consultancy there and also some corporate hospitality mm. side of things so yeah but heavily heavily connected with uh, anything that's going yeah. on in the live and concert world yeah wicked and so with the the consultancy side of stuff mm-hmm. Is that something you do to help artists or is it kind of like you said, is it kind of more corporate or in that world? It's a bit of both really. Um, So what we realised is that obviously there's only so many concerts that we can put on as an organisation and as a promotions company, but there's always people out there looking to put on events, whether that be brands, um, artists. And that's, it's interesting, we're getting quite a lot of newer artists that are coming to us. You know, they want to put on their own mini headline shows, um, something that's really bespoke to them. You know, they're looking for quirky venues to use. And then also they just don't necessarily have all the experience in terms of putting on an event. So yeah, it works across all levels. Um, we're just sort of figuring it out. We're, we're not um, sort of saying we're not going too corporate and then we're not just working with artists. We're just trying to see what this space um, yeah. you know, does for it's us. Just exploration and trial and error and Definitely. see what sticks and yeah. usual kind of stuff. Wicked. So. So where did Musicalize start? Because I know you founded it with your other half mm-hmm. together. What was the the moments that led up to that to make you kickstart it? Okay, so um, seven years ago, um, I was living in, in the Midlands in Birmingham. Um, and at the time, I was uh, there's a, me and a group of mates who we were like really interested in, in just doing something in music. I remember at the time, a couple of the guys that I was, that I was hanging around with had set up this website that I'm looking back at it now. It was it was kind of like an early uh, iteration of something similar to Spotify. They had a website and they were just basically uploading music onto it, no licenses or anything. Um, and we were just trying to create these playlists for people to listen to in all these genres. And we realized that was very labor intensive and hadn't really considered the whole license. It would have got shut down eventually anyway. But yeah, that was kind of like the first sort of dabbling with music. Um, we went to one event in Birmingham. There wasn't many at the time that were like this, um, which was a sort of like an unsigned live showcase. And that's where my interest really peaked. I sort of suddenly thought, this is, I really like this vibe, you know, new talent sort of coming through. Definitely wasn't being done on a regular basis in, in Birmingham at the time. And then the guys that I was talking to, they sort of 
their interests sort of went more towards sort of like the clubbing world and you know those types of events at the same time around that sort of time i'd met sophie and was traveling sort of like back and forth from london and basically just in spare time used to go to gigs um and it it ranged it was you know right from the the underground stuff that was happening mostly over in in shoreditch you know there's a lot of sort of unsigned showcases around in London at the time, um, right the way through to your arenas and stuff like that. And yeah, just really fell in love with the whole vibe of, of concerts. And I just kept thinking, especially when we were going to a lot of the unsigned stuff, the, the there were some amazing nights on at the time, you know, they'd really thought things through, mm. the production, the talent, everything was, was just really well thought through. But then there were a few that weren't so well done. And it was mostly because there wasn't much budget in place. So, you know, the, the, the standard of the artist sometimes wasn't the greatest. Um, you know, sometimes you'd arrive thinking that doors had opened and sound check was still happening yeah. with the band. And, and we just kept thinking that's, that's a shame because the crowds were really good. So, yeah, just one day we, we sort of said, how hard can it be to put on an event and just decided to, to run with it? I think... We didn't realize it at the time, but we'd kind of made connections. Um, yeah, call it networking. We'd met lots of people yeah. around that time. So we'd met a lot of unsigned artists. We'd met a lot of artists that seven years ago were on the come up that are now doing some incredible things. And so, yeah, I guess a, a combination of being in the right place at the right time. You know, I like to think we're good people. Yeah. So we just kind of connected and, and clicked with those so, people. So you weren't, so to interrupt, but you weren't, necessarily going out of your way to network and meet people you were just kind of in the moment yeah not at all it it wasn't calculated at all I mean um, I was I was working for a bank you know fairly happy with with the day job Sophie was a dance teacher and was doing a couple of other things as well and literally we we just it was just a case of just just meeting people. I think that's the good thing about the music industry is that it's it's fairly small, um, particularly in London. You know, a lot of people know each other. And I just think that when you go out, particularly to listen to live music, you've already got something in common with everybody else in the room. You know, there's going to be at least one artist, um, if not many, if it's, if it's a multi-act thing that you're all interested in. So I found that whole sort of social side of things actually quite easy Um, and it's interesting I was having this conversation the other day that I think the the social element of it back then was actually more in person I think we've probably seen a shift of that now where we've got all the social media channels and so we're all sort of connecting on there whereas before it used to be oh you know I've seen that person at that event before and then you'd kind of just spark up a bit of a chat where if you go now you see all you see is people like that yeah literally and it's like they're broadcasting it to everyone else and yeah, not taking it in in that room. It's it's crazy how that how that happens. And so that's that's really essentially where it um where it started and that's also where the name came about. So musicalize, it was all about music and socializing. That was, you know, sort of the, the real idea behind it. And, you know, I think as I say, it, it's just grown in the iteration now in terms of what that socializing element mm. is. Obviously, as you've built up over time you've gone on to different things and you've gone on to doing more and more larger scale events but was it did it start out as a kind of 
regular monthly live music event how was the the setup originally so originally it was we never had any intention of it sort of being a regular thing to be honest it was always just going to be a case of whenever we felt like doing an event we would so i remember the first event that we ever did um which was in april 2011 and it was just looking back at it now i think we had something like 10 to 12 artists on the bill um we did it at a, a nightclub in soho gets was the headliner um with a full live band yeah and i think i'll be honest i think that was part of the intrigue and the interest in that whole night was that gets i think in london had only ever done that live band thing at one of the show so we just found that we were getting loads of interest from the industry because they were like hold on harry's gets performing in a soho nightclub um and it's with a live band this like we almost have to see that we didn't realize that it was anything you know particularly out of the ordinary and yeah it was just i remember after that event happened we had people just saying when's your next one gonna be and we were like, oh, we should probably like make this a bit of a thing. And so it was like a couple of months before the second one. Um, and then after that one, people were asking the same thing. And then I think it was, you know, maybe three or four months before the next one. So I think in that first, in 2011, I think we ended up doing like four events mm-hmm. um, that we sort of crammed into that space. But it was there was never sort of a, a regularity with it. The one thing that we didn't want to do, which I remember quite clearly, was sort of oversaturate because there were so many of these types of showcase events going on at the time. You know, at, at that point, I think some of them were even happening weekly. Yeah. Um, and we started to find that I think a lot of newer promoters were coming onto the scene because they were just doing simple maths. They were going 300 people in a room, <laughs> £10 a ticket, that's three grand. Um, you know, everyone sort of thought that they could make loads of money off this. And what ended up happening is the lineup started to be pretty similar yeah. everywhere you were going. And once that starts happening, the audience numbers start going down and down. People have to shift from doing it weekly to bi-weekly to monthly to yeah. bi-monthly. So yeah, we just we just said we will never have a, a fixed plan, but anytime we think that we want to put one on, we'll, yeah. we'll just do it. You make it more of like a moment and an occasion rather than like, an appointment to start okay cool that was this one and the next yeah. one's going to be in two months it's yeah like, wait as, and see. as we grew it was interesting because you suddenly had the opportunity i remember the first time that and i can't remember exactly when this was but i remember at one show being able to actually announce that the next show was happening on this day suddenly became good from a promotion um perspective yeah. um but up until that point it was it was just fairly ad hoc whenever yeah. we felt like putting them on and, and on that note of promotion how did you go about promoting them in the early days because you know 2010 like you said i mean certainly instagram wasn't around certainly snapchat yeah. so it's mainly you know your facebook's and your twitter's but yeah still back then and i know from experience myself 2010 2011 it was still going out giving out flyers posters like what was your main kind of promotion plan essentially yeah um I mean, yeah we definitely did the whole flyer thing um there's always um there's some really cool groups in london of of, of teams that are you know the minute that i, I don't know they're, they're almost like meerkats whenever a, a new event or promoter comes onto the scene because they're just straight into your inbox offering their services as you know sort of flyer promotion and there's some that are doing some really cool innovative ways of, of doing it but yeah in the early days it was you know handing out flyers facebook events were a, a lot bigger than I, I think the commitment if you said that you were going to an event on facebook back then pretty much meant that you were actually yeah. going to follow through and, and, and actually go um so that was good 
BlackBerry Messenger. I remember oh, like wow. sending out. Back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember sending out broadcasts, you know, about the events and and what was going on. And it's always interesting. Do you remember you had that feature? Well, basically, you could ask someone else to send a broadcast. Yeah. But in reality, they could probably just send it to you and tell you that they'd sent it to everyone else. Yeah. So we'd ask lots of people to do it. And, you know, maybe the numbers that we were getting through the door suggested that people were actually doing it. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just WhatsApp as well, you know, as that, as that started to become like more and more popular. It was just a, I think I look back now and I go, we were doing some sort of like really old school promotion methods that I think actually helped us because by the time you did start to implement all of these other social media things we didn't let up with some of that traditional stuff and i think that's the difference you know as i say there was a lot of new promoters coming to the scene and they presume that by sending out a tweet or by putting it up on instagram that suddenly you know everyone was going to find out about it and unfortunately that's yeah. that's not really the case it's not the reality is it yeah yeah it, that goes for anything to be honest not it's just true. events isn't it yeah at this stage, you've obviously done, let's say we'll get, roll into like 2012-ish. Mm -hmm. You've done a few events. Mm -hmm. They're going well. You know, you've got good lineups, strong, you know, following, I guess. Yeah. Did you plan, were you then planning ahead and thinking, cool, we can make this. I mean, was it full-time at this point or was it like we can make this into a full-time thing and so, look to go beyond? Yeah. So I think, well, else? I've just literally just take a step back literally to the end of 2011. So as I mentioned, so the third event that we ever did was... Um, was an all-female lineup at XOYO and you know I, I just what was really interesting about that event was some of the connections that we'd made with it I remember we had um, uh, an artist on the lineup with a lady called Kyra amazing singer um, we'd found her someone had recommended um, her to us and we literally saw one YouTube video of her and we booked her we were like yep yeah, love her and um, she was an amazing talent she was working at the time with the same management team as Wretch 3-2 so Wretch came along that night we then I can't remember what the connection was but Ledley King who was <laughs> playing for Tottenham at the yeah. time he was in the building and so it was suddenly we were just going this is actually kind of if you get the right talent and the you know the right people interested then this could you know potentially become mm. something um, something decent so i think my interest had sparked from then we'd also done that show with um in association with a, a brand sponsor for the first time um it was an as a all-female lineup and we did it with a calorie burning drink they were really interested in sort of just tapping into to that market so there was a few pieces there that we were going hold on so you've got sponsorship you've got you know the celebrity angle of, of people being in in the room um and yeah we just thought if we can maybe keep this a little bit more regular then then something good could come of that off the back of that event uh, the lady that used to host our shows um a lady called clara hermit mm -hmm. she wanted to put on a charity event for her sister who at the time was suffering from breast cancer and we said yeah more than happy to do it you know we'll we'll work with you um to try and sort of pull together a lineup and between us we did um i remember wretch was one of the artists that was on the bill and i think that connection had come off the back of him being at, at that show the big one was ed sheeran so ed was you know top of his game uh, at this point i think september he'd gone to number one with his first album oh, wow. um literally like no one can touch ed sheeran to, to book shows um and between us we, we we managed to get hold of him and um asked if he would headline this show and he literally said to us i've got one day off in november 
I'm moving house in the morning. If you can do this show on that day in the evening, I'll come along and perform. He was wow. like, just speak to my manager, manager will speak to the agent and okay it. And we were just at that point, it was like, we've literally got one of the biggest artists, you know, yeah. in, in, the, in the UK ready to headline our show. And in our head, we were going to do the show back at XOYO. Um, but the minute that Ed had agreed and said that he was going to do it, so suddenly like my whole vision for it changed. I was like, we need a much bigger venue. Um, and then I was thinking, how big do we go? I remember us finding, uh, the, the venue's changed name. It's now Building 6, but it was Proud 2 at the time at yes. the O2. Yeah. Um, so about three and a half thousand. And um, we yeah, went and had a, a look at that venue. I remember Sophie and I walking in and the space was just a huge... <laughs> We, we'd never done a show at a, at a venue that size. So the step up was just ridiculous. And when you walk into a, a venue, there's empty as well. <laughs> yeah, All of a exactly. sudden you're like, whoa. You suddenly realise, and we were a bit like, oh, what have, have we kind of, you know, bitten off more than we, yeah. we can chew here. And um, the venue were really excited. Obviously, we were super excited to work with Ed. We'd, we'd known Ed for probably about a year before we'd seen him on you know on his rise um, which was really good to watch so we were just really excited um and basically long story short with that event i remember we were doing okay you know we i think we had five weeks to turn it around mm. we were doing okay with the promotion i think you know we'd done all of those methods and i think we got to about six seven hundred tickets with about within about two weeks and then we got ed to agree to put it on his facebook and his twitter and he nearly crashed the ticket site. <laughs> it was just like, we've never seen anything like it. The ticket site had never seen anything like mm. it. The venue were just like, this is incredible. Um, and we ended up selling out. And I remember that the, the strange thing for me at that point was, um, I remember seeing on Twitter especially, a couple of celebrities, I think it was like the Towie lot at the, yeah. that time, they were kind of like the big celebrities, particularly in, in sort of London and, and this area. And a lot of them were talking about Ed Sheeran, you know, they were fine, they were listening to his music. And then we had people tweeting them going, oh, you should go and see Ed at Musicalize. He's performing yeah. there at the wow. end of, of November. And so that's when we had all the PR agencies getting in touch. So that was for me the, the defining and, and turning point of the event because yeah. suddenly I was like, well, hold on, if you get the right artists, yeah. Um, and you know the, re the the rest of the lineup was was equally as strong, and it also gave us an opportunity because the thing we've always like really pr um, that we're really proud of with Musicalize is that we've always decided the lineups. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been no record label leaning on us, no agency saying you've got to put this person on if you book this art. None of that sort. Of, so the integrity of it's been really good. So it's meant that we put on artists for that show. That to this day, you know, they could their claim to fame is that they supported Ed Sheeran, yeah. and yeah. you know that was really really organic. We we pick the lineups, you know, uh, like that every single time. So, I think yeah, that was definitely the turning point because we suddenly saw that not only was it a viable business just in terms of ticket sales. But just then the other interest, you know, mm. we had brands that suddenly started contacting us saying, what's the event after Ed? And, you know, what are you going to do with this next? So I think around that 2012 period, that's almost where we took a bit of a step back and said, how do we, you know, try and make this a bit yeah. of a... And were you a kind of feeling a bit of pressure as well because of that? And Yeah, know. definitely. I think, you know, once you've had Ed headline... Yeah. Obviously, with your own levels of excitement, are just yeah. that, that you you know we were thinking we'd be able to book anybody at that yeah. point. Um, you know, 
I think this is where you also sort of started to see how fickle maybe this industry was. So there was a lot of agents that never used to return our calls and emails before. And then suddenly they were asking if they could, you know, get their artist on to support Ed and any future shows. But that was for me, that was just progression. That was just the way things were going. But yeah, we definitely did feel a little bit of, oh, we have to maintain this three and a half thousand cap, you know, oh, there's no way we could go back to doing anything less. But that was actually probably one of the biggest wake-up calls because we did a couple of smaller events. Um, and I remember for our first birthday, we went back to the same venue. Yeah. Um, and we had a really solid lineup. Um, we didn't have any like superstars like Ed on, on the bill. And you know, we didn't achieve the ticket sales that we had on the previous one. Um, it was a great event. Things went ahead okay. But it was definitely like an eye-opener that just said, okay, whenever you do these things like really think it through, you know, think about the talent, you know, don't get too excited. And also like really go hard on the promotion. Um, So it's almost like we had that lesson that just said that we could never sort of really sit still and get too comfortable, Mm. um, you know, in this business. Yeah, of course. And again, it goes for most things, doesn't it? You can't, you have to keep up that level. You can't just expect things to happen. You still have to put that hard work in. Definitely. So at this point, and this is kind of a two-part question. Okay. So at this point, A, were the events still based only in London? Mm-hmm. And B, had you experienced any kind of issues from the authorities with the the famous <laughs> 696 form, which for anyone who doesn't know is kind of solely based around the kind of urban music scene and trying to prevent events from happening because of, you know, they're worried about crowds and whatever it may have been so had you come across any of those issues yeah so um in particular just in, in relation to the 696 thing i think that's kind of always been a bit of an issue even from the word go so the first event as i mentioned taking gets to perform in that soho nightclub i remember that the the venue manager and the events manager she was completely fine with what we were doing and what we were trying to achieve until she found out who the headline act was mm. And in her head, that was a big issue. It was going to attract the wrong crowd. And, you know, I remember sitting there having like quite a, a frank conversation. You know, she was almost breaking down to me in terms of percentages, like what their preference would be black versus white, yeah. which was quite, you know, we weren't having this conversation over the phone. Mm. This was a face to face conversation. She could see that I'm a black guy, <laughs> um, but she still sort of felt comfortable saying some of the stuff yeah. that she did. Um, interestingly, they weren't too fussed about the form as such. It was just, they kind of made their own assumptions. Yeah. Obviously we assured her that everything was going to be okay. And I don't know how, but I remember we, we obviously, we, we got it through and, and everything went okay with the event. Um, once we'd started to progress, it was, it was interesting to see because I remember working with that venue proud when we were booking Ed Sheeran, we I don't remember us filling out a 696 form. Yeah. When we went back for our first birthday, which was just a few months later, and it was, you know, I think we had, um, I remember Loic SCM was on there. We had Angel. Um, we, yeah, there was, there was a bunch of other urban acts and suddenly this form you know comes out and magically appears yeah, yeah. It, it appears and um and we're, we're being asked to sort of um complete it on that basis and so yeah i think my opinions around the form are i've been asked about this a lot and i was just on a panel with at the bbc conference um last weekend discussing this and i think there's a place for it um, I think there should definitely be some sort of like protection in place for the audience 
um, for artists who may have, you know, issues with, with other individuals that you wouldn't want turning up at shows and things like that. But I do think it's far too specific to, you know, the genres um, that we've been promoting. And I also think that the other aspect of it is that there's not much conversation about what's going on. So, you know, yes, I can submit a form and I can fill it out with, you know, the, the artist's information. There are people out there, artists, you know, who have had checkered past and so things will flag. But for me, it should be more about the conversation that, that goes on behind that. And I think one of our, something that we were quite proud of is that whenever we get that call from the venue and they'd say, oh, there's a problem with this artist, Sophie and I, our approach was, well, hold on. These artists are, are trying to make a living out of music. Mm. We're giving them a check. We're trying to pay them to perform. You know, their fans want to come and see them perform. They're trying to leave behind this lifestyle that they may have had previously by pursuing music. And I think when we challenged that a few times, yeah, one of the the sort of better outcomes of that was us ending up sitting down in a room with you know two of the ladies that make the decisions based on this form and what the information that gets flagged. We sat there with an artist in the room as well and literally just broke down what's going on. Um, and this was an artist that previously had, had like shows shut down that they eventually gave, you know, the green light for him to perform yeah. on one of our shows. And so for me, that's where I think there just needs to be a bit more dialogue. I know at the moment, like the mayor of London's kind of chimed in and said he's going to, you know, review um, the, the contents of the form. But yeah, I think there's definitely some some more some more work to be done around it just so that we're not, you know, just preventing artists of a particular genre. Yeah, yeah it should apply across the board, across isn't the board, it? And, yeah. you know, regardless of the information on that form, what's decided from it should be equal no matter what, right? I think so, yeah. And, it, and hopefully it will get to that point, especially now with the way the kind of UK urban music scene is kind of thriving. It, it kind of deserves that acknowledgement at least. Yeah, 100%. So from from the Ed Sheeran point, like you said, this you got to a point where you had to kind of keep the level up so how did you go about then building beyond that and and going onto a stage where you now help artists you know put on their their live shows when they come over from america and and other places and other cities etc yeah i think that was just the natural sort of like progression of what was going on in in the uk scene at the time so i mean ed was one of a long list of artists that we'd wanted to book for a long time and particularly a lot of those sort of singer-songwriters um, were all doing incredibly well at that sort of time. And so it became more and more difficult to book that sort of um, that sort of talent. I remember the likes of, you know, Jesse J, Labyrinth, Sam Smith, like all of these sorts of guys that as soon as they were coming through and we were seeing them perform on smaller stages, we were like, oh, we want to book these one day. And then suddenly they became our mm. property and, you know, they were off touring the world and doing all sorts of crazy things. So... We just sort of said, what's the next natural place that we would go? And it was, I remember it was, it was actually really sort of like a cost thing because once we started working out how much we were spending on UK acts and, and things like that, we just thought, are there any Americans that we haven't seen for a while that we'd like to bring over? And it was literally just as simple as that one day, Sophie and I sat down and we just wrote a list of, you know, at the time it was sort of R&B and hip hop acts that we hadn't either, we hadn't ever seen or we'd heard had never been back to the UK for, for a long time. And that was just that whole transformation. So it wasn't a, 
well, yeah, I guess it was a conscious decision to just try something a little bit different. Mm. Um, we didn't want to be known as the the promoters that were just putting on like grime events yeah. in London, yeah. um, which is kind of what had happened because you know post Ed Sheeran, it was we went on a string of shows that it was a lot of you know sort of grime and UK rap um, artists. So the American thing was just a, a slightly different change mm. um, and one that again just happened to open up some like incredible yeah. doors for us. And how did you go about reaching these artists? Because, you know, if you're talking, you know, you said the music industry within London and the UK is quite small, but then once you expand that out into America, it becomes significantly more difficult because back then as well, Americans were less excited to come to the UK yeah. to perform. It's kind of like a formality that they had to do. It wasn't something that was like, it's always a stop on their tour, but it's yeah. not. Whereas now, you know, they come over and it's like, oh, I want to meet this artist, I want to work with that artist, I want to get in the studio with this person. So how did you go about reaching out to them and kind of so, uh, enticing them to come over? Yeah, I mean, it was it was literally a case of sitting down and going through. We, we, so we've come up with our list and then we just go on to these people's Facebook pages and Twitter pages and just anyone that had like a manager's yeah. details or any information in their bio, we were firing out emails. And so some of the shows we were getting looped in with... Um, you know, directly with management. Some it was getting passed off to um, an agent and, you know, we'd, we'd kind of end up having that conversation. So the first international act that we brought over was Sierra mm -hmm. and that was kind it's of... A pretty big start as well. Well, yeah, it was. It was, uh, And just for her, she was, she was one of those artists that had had a bit of a quiet period and then she was having she was having an album that was due to come out so i think the timing of just us reaching out kind of worked because then it was like she had a reason to come over to the uk she says you know she's always loved london and you know she's got a really good fan base here as well so yeah it was just it was it was just trial and error it was basically whoever would kind of come back and and answer those emails and and agree to come over mm -hmm. and i think once we'd done it with we, i remember we did it with sierra and then brandy was the next one so suddenly under our belt we had two really good case studies of of what we could do and because of those those shows did really well on ticket sales you know we felt really confident then going to managers and agents I remember the next one was Little Kim and Eve as a sort of like co-headline, and so yeah, then it was then it was like T Pain, um, and it was just it became so much easier once you had evidence of what you'd been able yeah. to do, and the same way that the music industry small here, you know, a good word from a, a manager or an, even even the artist actually, because I remember on the back of each of those shows we were getting, and, and this wasn't even sort of like a contrived oh send this tweet out for us please we were just getting artists genuinely thanking musicalize for bringing wow. them over nice. um i remember brandy that first time we brought her over she, she was one of those artists she spent like a good four or five days in the uk so every day we got to see her we, you know she got to meet our team we were just it was a, it was as a promoter it was a promoter's dream because she came over did the whole promo run you know that drummed up the last that's what enabled the show to to be a sellout and yeah, she just got to to know us as a team. And I remember when we went to um, see her off at her hotel when she was leaving, she was just, she referred to it as a God opportunity wow. that we, we'd, we'd given um, by bringing her over. And she was just like, you know, if I ever come back, I want to do it with you guys. And we toured with her last year. We brought her back over for sort of four dates across the UK. So that, that was just, when she shouted us out on Twitter, I remember a couple of American 
managers that we've been talking to were like, oh, you just did the show with Brandy. And, yeah. you know, it, it kind of, it just trickled like that. So we pride ourselves on, you know, being professional and doing an amazing job. And I think the artists really sort of feel that when they, they yeah. come over and work with us. Perfect. And like you said, it always helps because you get their buy-in and then you get other people's buy-in, other mm-hmm. artists buy-in, managers buy-in, and it kind of snowballs upwards, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so where's, where are you at now in terms of where Musicalize is at? Because, you know, you mentioned the consultancy stuff, the corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. Where's the company at now and what's the kind of plans for it for the so foreseeable we, future? I think because we've sort of done shows at, at every single level now, you know, right the way up to when we did um, the O2 Arena with 50 Cent and G-Unit, I love the way you just casually like, like <laughs> just, yeah, it's fine. It was just it was just fifty. Yeah, it? just just fifty. It was you know, but I think so. We've we've got the, we've still got that hunger to to do shows at the biggest level. It's really interesting. Backstage at the O2 Arena, they've got um, a wall that's been put up recently. It's like the promoter wall of fame, mm. um, and it's you know the name of all the like big corporations and you know sort of smaller independent companies that have done shows. Um, and so I emailed our contact there the other day and I was like, oh, I was backstage the other day and I noticed this promoter wall of fame, you know, how do we get on there? And she said, um, it's basically for anyone that's promoted, I think it's 10 or more shows oh, wow. um, at the O2 Arena. And she was like, oh, you know, we'd love to have musicalize up there. So naturally that's already a goal that I'm yeah, thinking, I'm like, how do we, how quickly can we get to doing 10 shows at the O2 Arena? So we're sort of, we're thinking of stuff at that level as a promoter you obviously want to be operating at the highest level with the biggest artists in the world um the touring cycle and the way things are happening at the moment things are moving very fast you know um, a lot of the big national promoters have a lot of exclusivity but we know deep down that there are some like really solid shows that we could put on um at arena level and then we're just always looking for those opportunities you know as i say concerts are are kind of always going to be the the core thing but i just think of the experience that we've built up in the events world now i'm really keen to see how we can sort of utilize that in other areas so that's yeah that's kind of where the the consultancy angle has has come from something that we're we're doing um over the course of the next few weeks is sitting down with lots of record labels you know record labels traditionally they, they bring a lot of their talent over to the UK. They do album listening parties or, you know, small intimate gigs. Yeah. And I guess a bit like how I felt seven years ago when I was going to some of these things, some are done incredibly well and then others are not yeah. that good at all. Um, and so we're almost going to sort of offer our services in terms of, you know, coming up with the cool and the creative and, and innovative ways of, of putting on these types of events. I think the reason for that is because first and foremost, I'm a fan of live music. Yeah. Like I just love it. That's people say to me, what do you do for a job? Oh, I'm a concert promoter. What's your hobby? Going to concerts. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just, you know, that that's kind of my, my thing. And so first and foremost, I'm a fan and I know what fans like to see and what they, they want to hear. And so that for me is just a natural progression of, of what we're doing is, you know, we should be putting together some of these fan focused um, events that the corporate hospitality world again is is really interesting um something that i've had my eye on for for a little while because i'm just you know it's it's, it's just interesting how corporate companies their interesting concerts i think now is at an all-time high yeah. you know it's 
everyone wants to go to live music events so these corporate companies want to you know they want access to tickets they want you know the experiences they want all the things i guess that money can't buy yeah. um and so that's you know an interesting uh, again sort of part of a wider discussion that we're having with with artists with managers is how we can put on some you know really cool you know bespoke events i guess and then the other area is is, is brands those brands traditionally they've gone to PR companies yeah. and they said, we want to put this on. A PR agency will phone up the artist agent, say, this is the budget. You know, maybe sometimes they're getting charged way more than that they, they should be for, for the talent. And again, we're just looking at, well, hold on, we've kind of been operating in this space for a while. We should probably be a natural go-to company to, you know, try and facilitate those yeah. sorts of things. Again, I think in London... Every brand wants to have an event that has some of the coolest people, um, you know, the influencers attending their event. But I think the thing that sometimes gets missed is what about the fans? Yeah. You know, the fans are the people that when they get the opportunity to come along to those events, they're the people that shout about it on social media. And, you yeah. know, I think the the general music industry crowd now they know if they've been invited that they're probably expected to put up a post or, you know, use a hashtag at an event. But you can almost, you see the lack of enthusiasm in it because, yeah. you know, you might get one post on Snapchat from an event. Whereas, you know, if you had a room full of genuine fans of an artist, just the interaction and everything, it, it's just on a whole different yeah. level. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to see what we can do in, in that space. But we'll always be on the the lookout for yeah. who the biggest and best acts are yeah. that we can work with. Wicked. Sounds great. Sounds like a solid plan as well, which is, I think, very important. So, so far, everything sounds really, like, glamorous and, like, it's gone <laughs> smoothly and it's like there's, you know, it's been plain sailing <laughs> or whatever. But I know from experience, you know, doing events both on the corporate side and also a kind of more raw club night side that mm -hmm. the events game is probably the, the most stressful job in the world yeah. that it can be. Can you let us know a little bit of the kind of the other side of things, you know, when stuff goes wrong, what goes wrong, what can go wrong, and then how you go about dealing with it and not kind of panicking and making like a rash decision? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, 100% agree with what you said there. There is definitely that side of things. Also, the thing, the thing that I always say to people is, imagine that stress of, of being an events organiser, promotions company you you kind of take that home with you anyway um for, for sophie and i work is at home you know yeah. we're predominantly based at home and we're running the business together so we've got all of the we've got the normal stresses of like everyday life plus the business and the the challenge there i guess is like how do we sort of separate the two yeah. you know we got three kids as well just throwing thrown into the mix um that you know, that in itself brings along a load of challenges. So I think from our side of things, usually when anything goes wrong with an event, it's usually down to a lack of communication somewhere. So a very real example of something that happened um, on one event was when we decided to book flights for the artist that was coming over. In the early days, obviously, we were just trying to save as much money as we possibly could. So Sophie and I jumped on Skyscanner and we were like looking at the, the cost of the flights and working out what the cheapest one was going to be. And I remember us booking a set of flights for some dancers that were coming over with the artist and 
to get the cheapest deal, we booked non-refundable flights, which was would have been perfect if those dancers ended up being the dancers that came. About a week before the show, the tour manager was like, we changed the dancers. Oh, no. We don't want them to come anymore. Now, a non-refundable flight is oh. what it says on the tin. Um, you know, it's not even, you don't even have the option to sort of change the name on the thing. Or if you did, I remember it was, it was something ridiculous. Like, I think if we were going to change the name, it would have worked out basically the same cost as, yeah. as booking a new flight. So I remember when that happened and suddenly that's like the, that's one of the biggest, you know, sort of crisis that you have because you, you're thinking about your cash flow. You're looking, you've, you've done everything, you know, sort of down to the penny. And then, you know, you've got two, now two return flights from LA that you've got to sort of just, that you're expected to just pay. And that was an experience because, you know, it was, it was very stressful at the time, but the learning point of that was, you know, we had things put in place in our contracts now, which say that, either the artists are responsible for booking or if we take on that responsibility that once something's booked, any changes, yeah. you know, sort of uh, are at their cost. So I think in the events game, it's kind of all about learning from any bad experience that you have and then just changing it for the, for the yeah. next time, basically making sure that the same thing doesn't happen again. I guess the biggest thing is going to be ticket sales, you know, what do you do when the show that you thought was a guaranteed sellout um, and was going to be a surefire hit is only at 50%? Yeah. You know, do you just sit back and sort of moan about it and, you know, hope for the best? Or do you sort of roll up your sleeves and, and try and get creative? And someone said to me the other day, they were like, what, what, do we, what do we think is the biggest difference between, like, us musicalize as an independent promotions company versus some of the, the bigger corporations? And I think we can't afford to lose yeah. on shows. So whereas like, um, you know, a large corporation like a Live Nation or an SJM or an AEG, Metropolis, any of these big sort of promoters, they have so many shows on that their big wins effectively could offset some of the losses. Yeah. If we had too many losses, we'd just be out of business. Yeah. So that's kind of where we have to, you know, really roll up our sleeves. We get creative. We, you know... I guess we, that's where we try and find the fans. Sometimes you can be in a situation where you're relying on the artist to, you know, put out a tweet or to put a post up on Instagram. And you know, you know full well that if that happens, fantastic. The yeah. fans will share it. Everyone will yeah. get talking. You'll see the spike in You'll the see sales. The, yeah, exactly. But, you know, as, as easy as putting a flyer up on, on Instagram is, sometimes it just doesn't happen. And you know, when that doesn't happen, we have to, you know, we have to find the fans and make yeah. sure that we're making enough noise so that yeah. the people know that it's going on. So I think, yeah, that, I mean, we, we, we definitely have those experiences, you know, we, we've seen where, where ticket sales have slowed down and you're getting closer and closer to a show. And, you know, that brings on a, a whole element of, uh, of stress and, and things like that. You've had, I'm trying to think of anything else that's kind of, um, you've probably got a long list somewhere yeah, in the back of your brain. Of yeah, like. just, just things that have happened and, you know, artists missing a flight, for instance, yeah. you know, what happens if, if that happens? Um, obviously now we've had this, you know, the, the, the last year or so we've had some just crazy experiences with, with terrorism, you know, whilst you're always covered from an insurance perspective, with, with terrorism that's just a natural concern every time you've got an event yeah. on you know what would happen if if that was our event and unfortunately there's no consistency from mm -hmm. from the the examples that we've seen in in 
within the last year or so as to where that's going to happen or why it's going to happen. So literally any event now is a sitting target for, for something like that. So I think, yeah, being realistic behind the scenes, there is always that. I think from our side of things as well, because we are independent, because our funding into the business came about through, you know, meeting private investors and contacts like that. Again, that's always a concern. You know, we're we've got to the stage where obviously we've been able to put our own money into to the into the business. But when you're dealing with other people's money, that's always a concern. You know, if if that money gets lost, what are their expectations? What if they have a change of heart or a change of circumstances? You know, you know, are they just going to phone you up one day and say that, you know, something's happened in their life and they, they need the money back? Yeah. You know, all of these little things. So these are sort of the the day to day stresses. And, you know, I think with the, with the best will in the world, sometimes we will be working on a show and have the, the best intentions of a show happening at this particular time on this particular date. And then for other reasons behind the scenes, things get delayed. Mm. So, you know, we, we've had it before where we've had groups of individuals that might be investing in a project that, you know, we're having to sort of say things are being slightly delayed or, you know, we, we can't, you know, fulfill it as we said we were going to. Again, you know, I think maybe that's where our track record comes in is that people can see that we're able to deliver. So that kind of gives that confidence yeah. that, that things will go ahead. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it has its really, the, the highs in this business are incredible. You know, they're some of the best. I still get that, that real sort of buzz when I see a crowd full of live music fans going crazy to the artists that they love. That's what kind of drives me to kind of keep going. But yeah, behind the scenes, there are some there's some pretty crazy things yeah. that um, that do kind of keep you up at night sometimes. Like I said, I, I find events to be very stressful because it's, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where like almost anything can go wrong at any moment, and you just don't know what or when. You yeah. can't. You can do as much planning as you you know as you've said, and then an artist missed their flight, and or they they're, they're running late from from their the airport, airport or, the, or the hotel, or you know they they booked a, a hotel that you know is not the one you've booked then it's on the wrong side of london or the wrong like, side of the blackwall tunnel which yeah. when we were working <laughs> we've done a lot of events at the o2 um you know the arena and uh, indigo which was kind of like our residency for for a good couple of, a good few years actually yeah the amount of times americans just didn't get the concept of the blackwall tunnel yeah. i'm pretty i think sierra like got caught in the blackwall tunnel at one point it was you know all sorts of crazy things like that and i think yeah, they're the things that just they are they are challenging um, because, as you said, you you can't really plan for for some of those things. We've got a really good team around us that's been built really organically, like from the ground. Just you know, people that were interested in getting into the events game, and yeah, I'm like really proud of those guys because on show day, the the stress levels tend to be very minimal for yeah. us, um, and I think that's just because of the the, the people that we've got around. You know, sort of trying to to keep everything um, going usually one of the biggest issues that we have at show day is usually things like when the artist wants food um, <laughs> you know like nando's closing at 10 o'clock or 10 yeah. 30 and they don't get off stage till 11 o'clock or something you know and then it's like you've committed to getting them food and everyone's hungry after a show and it's you know they're the little things that yeah. um, sometimes cause the the biggest amount of stress yeah imagine i'm starting out in the events game Right, and I want to start doing my own club night or live music event or promotional events. What would be your top tips for starting out? 
definitely get your plan right. Um, I think is, is is probably one of the key things. Um, like understand what it the, understand the event that you're trying to put on. So you know, as you you mentioned, a couple of scenarios there. So I think they'll bring about different you know types of audiences. If it's going to be a club night, you know that's probably um, a little bit more free. You know, there's there's not as much in the way of processes that are needed for that. The problem that you'll have, I guess, if you're going to do a club night, is that what about all the other club nights that are going on? around at the same sort of time so i think a key thing there is probably about sort of just researching and and sitting down we came into this business very blind you know we were just two people who love live music doing other things but just thought how hard can it be and sort of almost learned the hard way if i had the time over again i would have spent a bit more time researching but then I also know that if I'd spent too much time doing that, I probably would have talked myself out of a lot of the things mm. that, that we did or, you know, have gone on to do. So I think do an element of research, you know, be sort of work out where you want to sit. You know, is it something that's going to be sort of like fairly carefree? That's, you know, not too specific. Or are you looking to do something very, very niche? Mm. You know, work out what else is going on in that space go to the other events that are happening that's like so important because you need to see for yourself what's happening you know how are people promoting their events where are they doing their promotion get to know the event organizers and i mean this is an interesting one because i think it's something that people always say you know try and find the right person or you know get in contact with them and it is easier now in the in the age of social media it's certainly easier to to find these people and to know who they are as event organisers, I think maybe some of us have a, I try to be fairly open and, you know, I'm, I like to think I'm very accessible if someone wanted to speak to me. I know that I've tried to reach out to other event organisers, you know, when I was sort of coming through the ranks. And even today, because of some of the plans that I've got, mm. I need to find out how they've been able to take their businesses to that level. And it's not always easy. Either people are very, very busy or they sometimes just don't want to have those those conversations. But I'd say where you can try and find the right people that are operating in that space, you know, try and pick their brains you know, everybody is super, super busy, but I am a firm believer that we should all be able to make a little bit of time to try and help somebody that's that's asking us relevant questions. I think maybe that's the thing is that when you're trying to approach those people, maybe come with sort of quite a specific brief, because if someone just says to me, oh, Ben, can we have like a chat? I want to catch up over a coffee. Like in my head, I'm thinking that sort of goes maybe to the bottom of the pile mm. because I'm thinking about the long list of other things yeah. that I do. And I'm thinking, you know, I barely have enough hours in the day. I can't commit to just going out to have a general catch up. Yeah. But if someone says to me, Ben, I want to put on my own event. Yeah. I've seen that you've done this. This is what I'm thinking about doing. Can you provide me with any pointers? Yeah. Then there's a yeah. bit of structure. And I know that, you yeah. know, that that's probably a it's a more specific conversation yeah. as well yeah but you know um, what i think that's a very valuable piece of advice as well because i know i'm very capable of doing that of just being like, oh let's go for coffee and catch up and it never materializes yeah. whereas like you said if you make it more not formal but more structured i guess is the yeah. right word and, and you both going into the conversation knowing what the conversation is going to be about you're both going to get the results or the, the value out of that that you want. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, the other thing is, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to sort of just, obviously the ideal is always sitting down face to face, having a coffee, going for a meal or whatever the case may be. That's obviously going to be the ideal. But, 
you know, we've got enough technology now that enables us just to, you know, kind of maybe cut out some of the travel time or, you know, yeah. have phone calls, you know, have maybe having, having an initial phone call is sometimes really helpful because it will just work out whether you even need to get to the stage of doing that. You know, if you have to see each other face to face, use Skype or, or you yeah, know, yeah. use whatever's available to, I think that's sometimes more attractive. And I've noticed that my approach has changed now when I'm trying to, to connect with people is I, I, I almost lead by saying, look, you know, I know that we're all super busy and that we've, we've got very little time. So can we schedule a 10 minute call just to yeah. go through this? And, you know, 10 minutes sounds a lot less daunting than traveling into central London yeah. and having a yeah. coffee and all the, the elements that that yeah. brings with it. Yeah, of course. A lot of times very valuable as well, isn't it? And yeah. you don't want to kind of be... And I, I think the other tip on that, on the back of all of this is as well, is that once you do get to the stage where you are sort of putting on that event, is to, you know, believe in what you've created, believe in what it is that you, you, you're doing. We've all got sort of like a network around us, whether that's friends, that's family, that you can, on an initial basis, sort of try and buy, help to buy into what you're doing. I think that is actually quite a key thing because I remember that first event that we ever did, there was obviously a, a, a heavy guest list. Of, you know, there was lots of favours. I remember the office that Sophie was working in at the time. I think she pretty much invited everybody in the office to, to come down to the thing. And they were intrigued because they were like, oh, what's she doing with her spare time sort of thing. So I think using that network from an events side of things, you need a bunch of people around you that are as excited about it as you. And that, you know, that early sort of impetus that's kind of what maybe might just be the thing that gets the ball rolling yeah. and yeah just just shout about it from the rooftops you know once you've once you've got your event locked in just find a way of letting everybody know that it's happening and i think when people sort of see that that passion is there from you and then they start to see other people talking about it by nature we are quite sheep like we we mm. will just kind of go where we hear the crowd is is going so if enough noise is being made and yeah. enough influential people are sort of talking about what you're doing then it just pricks ears anyway yeah no massively definitely 100 percent. and you know i think that there's four really or even five really good bits of advice so for anyone who does want to get into events because a lot of people have the idea and they're like cool i want to get into it and then they don't really know where to start so i think it's good to have advice from someone like yourself who's done them and built up and you know still doing them on a, on a kind of big scale if we could roll back the years pre-musicalize mm -hmm. let's say back to like you being in school mm -hmm. what three bits of advice would you give yourself to start doing and what one thing would you tell yourself to stop doing three bits of advice to start doing yeah. <laughs> I definitely, so at that stage, I think it would be like really pay attention to things that are related to business. I think, and I think that's probably really relevant to people now that are sort of studying or are in that space because I think we live in a very entrepreneurial age now where everyone wants to own their own business and do their own thing. Um, and whilst I had elements of that when I was sort of at school and college and things like that, I didn't take it overly serious. So yeah, I think I definitely study business, the mechanics behind running a business. Yeah. It's probably linked to that is, is kind of like finance yeah. is just being like so on point with, with money. I have quite an interesting relationship with money in that, you know, I, I've grown, grown up not having loads and loads of money. I still don't have loads and loads of money now, but you know, maybe my relationship with money 
at the point when you start to earn I could squander money quite easily yeah. um, you know buying everything under the sun and just not really sort of like thinking about things so I think you know maybe from uh, just just being smart with money you know I think that that's a, a really sort of key thing and then I think the other bit of advice that I tell myself to, to do a, a bit more of is, and it, it helped when we when we started this business, is just to be out there and just yeah. to kind of really, if there's an area or if there's something that really interests you, almost like obsess over it, like get to know it and, and study the, the, the genre or the niche or the area that you're involved in. Because the more knowledge that you have on it, then you're just so better placed to be able to sort of like handle anything that comes up in that. You're never going to be an expert on everything, but I think you can definitely sort of like help yourself get there. In terms of what I tell myself to stop doing, um, maybe to stop worrying about like every minute thing. I was quite fortunate that when, um, by the time it got around to sort of starting Musicalize, obviously I was like, I was a little bit old. I had, I wasn't like straight out of college. You know, I had been working for, for a good few years. I didn't have much in the way of like savings and things like that, but I definitely had a bit more experience behind me. And I felt that I could sort of take that jump of leaving a, a full-time job and, and, you know, getting into something, something new. But I know that in the years prior to me doing it, I was very worried about, mm. you know, what, what if, and, you know, what happens when I'm not taking home a regular salary and, and things like that. And I guess maybe that, you know, if you sort of embed that from an earlier age, you know, that sort of school age that you're talking about um, speaking back to yourself, I think if you sort of develop that fearlessness of, you know, I'm just going to, if I like something, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give it a go. Then I think that that would, would definitely mm. be, be something that I'd say not to, not to do if I had my time over. Again. Yeah. So what would you say would be your ultimate happiness goal? Um, my ultimate happiness goal now as a father of three and a husband is literally just for like my entire family to to wake up every day feeling happy in their lives in, in what they're doing so you know i have the pleasure of working every single day with my wife but you know i want that to be like the just the best experience ever i guess this is where you sort of start thinking long term about your goals i think you know we thoroughly enjoy what we're doing now we also can see like the the level of stress and and things that, that this business can can bring now and and sometimes that can be the thing that takes away from the happiness we we have to regularly remind ourselves why we're doing this you know we have to get to that point where we get to a concert and then we stand there on the balcony together and we watch the show and you know that's when we just look at each other and go okay it, it all makes perfect sense now but i think that's part of our progression with this business is obviously we want to be able to grow things so that we can sort of take a bit more of a step back allow things to to go on and maybe have a, a real input in it mm. um but yeah it's just i think i think for me now, family is like, I say all the time, like family is first. And just to have our kids grow up, see that mom and dad have been like, you know, really, really successful is is obviously one thing, but not at the expense of a good, solid family life. You know, I think, again, it's very easy to say, oh, family first, but 
you know, what are we actually doing to make sure that that happens? So for me now, I'm just, I'm really in this zone of using my time wisely. Mm. Um, I've been so terrible at this for for such a long time. I'm like a massive social media addict. Um, (laughs) And it is like, I I say addict, and I I thought thought long and hard about this. I realized the other day when I had something that was so critical to do, that I couldn't stop myself every five, 10 minutes, just going and checking Instagram, yeah. checking Twitter, uploading something to one of many social media accounts that I look after and things like that. And I just thought, I know how important this task is that I need to do and I'm still doing those things. So by all means, like have fun and things like that. But at, at this particular point, now I'm thinking, I sh- I've just always got to be thinking, how, is, how are my decisions today? going to affect my family yeah. long term and as long as everyone's like happy in life with, with whatever choices they're making for me that's that's kind of yeah. the ultimate happiness goal i feel like i went really deep there. Yeah. no that's amazing <laughs> man that's that's i mean i've gone way deep on, on other episodes so it's not it's not a bad thing but i think it's a really beautiful message to end on is in that sense of being more kind of present in your life and not kind of being consumed by social media by work by actually enjoying the things that you have in terms of your family you know your friends whatever it may be your partners mm-hmm. um, and just just enjoying these moments that we have together as well as you know being able to do the exciting stuff outside of oh that. yeah that's definitely. the foundation of everything and i think you know the work that you guys are doing at musicalize i think it's a huge testament to you and sophie for the way you've managed to work it between yourselves and get that balance right between business relationship relationship to and fro and so great to see guys like yourself doing really well and, and looking to build and get stronger and, and bigger and better as a company so yeah wish you luck with with all of the future ventures thank you so much and, and thanks for joining me today no worries thank Pleasure. you for having me there we have it guys that was ben's story and the story of musicalize it just goes to show that you're really passionate about something and you really focus on what it is you want to achieve and do you know anything is really possible as long as you put the right energy and focus into what it is you do and really set it out and be very clear with yourself what the purpose is it really is possible to achieve anything so as ever please hit me up on twitter at i am alex manzi let me know your thoughts share the love spread the message because at the end of the day we're all here to learn together so on that note I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Go out there and chase those dreams. This podcast is produced by Unedited.